Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. How would you like an ad-free show today? Why not? Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. I am Paul Coliani, a personal empowerment coach, and this is the show where I read your questions and help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. Speaking of physical health, if my voice crackles at all, it's because I'm getting over a... I don't know what I had... <laughs> I don't know what I had, but uh, it affected my voice, and I've been coughing up a lot of stuff, and uh, that's about all the personal information I'll share with you so that you can go throughout your day without being grossed out. And anyway, I'm going to talk about uh, something that uh, comes up quite a bit on my show, which is emotional abuse, and uh, emotional abuse is such a broad topic in the sense that um, there's so much of it in the world that uh, we don't even realize we're doing it half the time. And uh, the emotional abuse that I've written about, the mean workbook and, and my blog, my articles, and everything I talk about on the show, these are all components of a bigger picture of how we can experience emotional abuse, how we can experience feeling bad in any type of relationship. And sometimes we are emotionally abusive towards someone. We don't even know it. For my marriage, I was emotionally abusive toward my wife for many years, and it was completely unintentional. So we get into relationships, and we don't realize we're doing it until someone points out that we're making them feel bad or we're causing a problem in some way. And it took a divorce for me to figure this out, that I had this kind of behavior. You know, I didn't call it emotional abuse back then. I call it my judgment issues. I called it um, emotionally withdrawing because that was what I would do as well. I would withdraw my emotions and my connection with my wife so that she would feel bad. I don't like that I was that person and that I had that behavior, but it happened. I did it and I realized it. And now I tell other people that it's not a good idea. <laughs> if you want to stay in a relationship, if you want to prosper in your relationship, if you want your relationship to grow and flourish and all that. So I like to bring up the topic of emotional abuse every now and then because it is a basis for a lot of 
what goes on in relationships. And I'm going to read an email today on emotional abuses, which is why I'm bringing this topic up. But I wanted to kind of lay this foundation that we are all capable of it. We all have the ability to communicate in a way with someone that makes them feel bad about themselves. That's my definition for emotional abuse. I mean, in a broad sense. Emotional abuse is when you want someone to not only feel bad, but also feel bad about themselves. That's a subtle difference, but it's a huge difference to the person. Because a person can feel bad. Like, if you were being emotionally abusive towards someone and you said, um, I really hate the color of that car that you just bought. You choose awful colors. I mean, that's a minor example. But let's just say that you wanted to define that person as someone who chooses awful colors. You are the worst at choosing colors. I can't believe how much of an idiot you are in the way you choose colors. It just makes no sense. It's like half your brain is missing. Again, this is a minor example. There are some other examples I could use, but I think that's a good one to start with. That can be seen as emotionally abusive because what you're doing is you're causing the person to feel bad about themselves. Now, before you write to me and say, you can't cause anyone to feel anything, because I agree, I understand, um, but I also disagree. <laughs> I also disagree that you can, in a way, with someone who doesn't have uh, top-notch self-esteem, self-worth, confidence, all of these wonderful qualities that we all want to possess at the highest level, when they aren't at the highest level, all those qualities, you can hurt someone. And words like that can hurt. You're so stupid. You're bad at doing that. You're this, you're that. That can hurt. Even, even people at the highest level can be hurt because it could be unexpected. It could be something that was said to them that just came out of the blue. Like everything's fine and then suddenly, what? You're awful at choosing colors. And um, it was not even brought up as a subject before, but now it is. I mean, that's just, again, one tiny little example. A lot of emotional abuse is actually very subtle. The, the subtlety of emotional abuse occurs in a relationship um, day after day, after week, after year, after year, can cause the person to continually feel bad about themselves. And then eventually, the, the victim of emotional abuse will feel like they can't trust themselves and they can't trust the decisions they make because the other person is making continually making them feel bad about themselves. So again, I don't want to argue that someone can make the choice whether to feel bad about themselves or not. I agree. It, when someone is empowered and realizes they have that choice, then yes, you can do that. Uh, but you, it can still happen to even those people. It can still be affecting those people as well. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I know what it's like that no matter how at the top of your game you are, someone can bring you down a notch or 10 or a thousand notches. It can happen. And I see it in relationships all the time with my clients. So the bigger picture behind emotional abuse is that it wears down the other person until they become, I don't know, controlled, submissive. And even in that space, I've had clients tell me that I do everything that uh, my partner wants me to do and he or she still gets angry with me. I can still new, never do anything right. So those are more extreme cases of emotional abuse. But um, the reason I brought up this example is because we all have the capacity to do this. 
And when you know you have the capacity to do it, you can be more observant of your communication style. And I think an important question to ask yourself whenever you're talking to anyone is, am I saying this with the intent so that they will feel bad? Now, you can extend that question and say, am I saying this with the intent so that they will feel bad about themselves? When you add that, then you can look at how you worded something and realize, oh, when I do that, I purposefully am intending for them to feel bad about themselves or just feel bad in general. I mean, the idea that you might have the intent to make someone feel bad, regardless of where that comes from, is a component of emotional abuse. Uh, to further that and want them to feel bad about themselves, like they introspect and go, hmm, I never thought of it that way. I really am a terrible color picker and I guess I need to work on that and I can't trust myself choosing colors from this point on because that one person in the world has said I'm a bad color chooser or maybe more than one person it doesn't matter the point is when you start doubting yourself and feeling bad about yourself you may be being emotionally abused so that doesn't make the other person necessarily a bad person it just helps you identify what's happening so that you don't get stuck in the emotional abuse cycle because the emotional abuse cycle requires someone to provide the emotional abuse and someone to receive it and if you are there to receive emotional abuse someone trying to just make you feel bad or someone trying to make you feel bad about yourself so that you lower your self-worth lower your self-esteem lower how you feel about yourself which is a really awful thing to do to someone to actually start disintegrating their own self-worth and own self-esteem. That's just a powerful way to start crushing someone. And I don't recommend you do that, but be aware that you might be doing it inadvertently. So that's a really big component of emotional abuse is starting to disintegrate the other person's sense of self-worth and self-esteem, self-importance, um, self-pride. I mean, all of these things that make you feel good about yourself can be totally turned around so that you feel bad about yourself. And then once you feel bad about yourself, uh, the person that feels bad is going to seek validation and comfort from the person abusing them. This is what often happens. Oh, you see me that way? Well, I'm going to prove to you that I'm better than that. I'm going to prove to you that I'm working on myself so that you can now see me in a different light. And someone with those intentions to make you feel bad aren't going to suddenly change their mind and go, oh, I see now. You are smarter than I thought. Uh, so, okay, I'll treat you with more respect. Usually doesn't happen that way. But as I started to say, if you are the one there to receive the emotional abuse uh, and you stay in that situation, then the emotional abuse cycle continues. And if you aren't able to do anything about it, if you can't show them how they are emotionally abusing you, then the abuse cycle continues and you continue to stay in the relationship and continue to, to be beat down in a way until you give in and feel defeated. Once you're defeated, then the emotional abuser wins unless you're defeated and you get out of the relationship. But either way, the emotional abuse occurs, you feel bad about yourself, then you feel defeated. Now what do you do? Now you feel alone in the relationship and no matter what you do, it's never going to be right. So being the receiver continues the cycle 
and the provider also continues the cycle, which makes the formula. So how do you break apart this formula so it doesn't create the outcome of emotional abuse? One person has to change. The emotional abuser typically doesn't change. They can and they do. I used to be an emotional abuser. I had to change. How did I change? It took a divorce and it took a lot of introspection and it took me looking at my past relationships and going, hmm, everyone left me. Everyone left me. So what am I doing to cause this to happen? And it was very difficult to understand and figure it out because I had to look at how I set up my relationships and how I set them up to fail. Because that's what happens. You set someone else up to fail by being emotionally abusive toward them, using your language, using your behavior, um, making them feel bad about themselves. And when they fail in your eyes, you are right. I mean, if you're the emotional abuser or using emotionally abusive language or behavior, then you are setting them up to fail so that you can be right. And once you're right, now you have a, a lopsided relationship where one person feels righteous and everything they do is on the up and up and the other person keeps failing and failing and failing, even though the abuser set them up that way. But what I was saying is that what it took for me to get out of the emotional abuse cycle was her to leave me. And every relationship in my life for my partner to leave me. And that was a vital component of my personal growth. But it does take you to reflect on everyone leaving you and you going, hmm, what am I doing to cause this? And then being really humble, going, oh, this is what I'm doing. I must be repeating a pattern. How do I change this pattern? What do I do? A lot of self-reflection, a lot of admittance that you are doing these things if you're experiencing what I experienced, you know, being the emotional abuser, or even if you are the emotional abusee, the person receiving the emotional abuse, you're still part of the equation. It doesn't mean it's their fault. Everything that they do is wrong, and therefore you're the victim, even though that's true to a certain extent, but you're still in the formula. And as long as you stay, you feed the abuse machine. And I, I, I hope this makes sense to you because if you're one of those people that continues to go back to a relationship that is abusive in any way, then what you're doing is putting yourself back in the formula of abuse and enabling the abuse. It doesn't make you at fault, but it does cause you to realize that you are half responsible for the abuse in your life. I hate to say that. I really do. I hate to say it that way because if you're the victim of any type of abuse, you are truly a victim. You don't deserve this. And I know there are situations you can't really feel like you can't get out of. But if you understand that you are half responsible because you are half of the formula, then you also know that just by you being there, the abuse exists which means how can I get abuse out of my life? There's several ways, but one of them is breaking that formula and no longer being the supply for the abuser. If you take the supply out, then the abuse formula doesn't work. And again, I know that it can be difficult to leave 
an abusive relationship. Sometimes you don't think you're being abused. Sometimes you actually take it on as maybe it really is your fault. Maybe there is something better that you can do. There's a whole complex set of emotional variables here that can get in the way of understanding what you can do as the victim of abuse to get out of that situation. So I, I definitely don't blame you if you've ever been the victim or are a victim now. It is not your fault. I just want you to start understanding that you being in the equation can cause this. And if you realize that you can be half or a partial cause for this, then you have some control of your life. Then you can take steps to make a difference. And I know it's not easy. Sometimes the abuser is a real bad person and they become more dangerous. I understand that. There are people, there are groups that can help you through other more severe forms of abuse. But uh, today I'm talking about the emotionally abusive aspect of any type of relationship you have out there. It doesn't have to be romantic. It can be friendships, can be family, a lot of family, <laughs> a lot of family emotional abuse, unfortunately. But um, as long as you know the overall symptom of, wow, that person's trying to make me feel bad about myself, then you can go, oh, I'm in an emotionally abusive situation. And once you know it, once you're armed with that knowledge, then you can start making decisions for yourself. And also being armed with the knowledge of, oh, I'm also part of the formula. No matter how you show up, you can show up as the most wonderful person in the world and the emotional abuser still tries to make you feel bad, which I hope leads you to a place of self-compassion, self-love, so that you can say to yourself, hmm, I don't want to be in this situation anymore because I don't want to be abused. And it's also compassion and love for the other person when you say that. Because if you get out of the situation, you give them the gift of not having to be abusive anymore because you've destroyed the formula. You've taken it apart and that formula no longer exists so they no longer have someone to abuse which keeps them out of the abuse cycle. That's a very simplistic version of this. I understand. <laughs> I know it's not going to be the solution that they need to fix you know, whatever's going on or heal from whatever's going on in them. But uh, it can be a huge step forward for them, just like it was for me. Many years ago, being married, when my wife left me, uh, I certainly wanted to blame her. And the point that I got to where I finally took responsibility for my role in the relationship, and she wasn't verbally or mentally abusive at all, but I certainly was. And when I finally accepted that role, when I finally said, oh, that was me. That was my fault. That was my responsibility. My behavior was what disintegrated our marriage. When I finally took that on and released her, it cleared everything up. It cleared, I don't know how to explain it. It took away all the negativity around it. I no longer had bad feelings toward her. I think she no longer had bad feelings toward me. It just became clear once I took responsibility. And I even sent her that email. I sent her an email that says, you know what? I was mad at you and I wanted to blame you and this and this and this. And I realized I really need to take responsibility for myself. And I apologize for what I did and for my role in the relationship. So I want to let you go. And I hope you have a great life. Maybe we can meet someday without all this history that prevents us from just being nice to each other. Again, she was nice. I wasn't.
I mean, I wasn't awful. I was just needy and desperate and wanted her back. And I would blame her for leaving. And I would blame her for not trying to work on our marriage even more. When really, I decided to take all the responsibility for everything that I did in the relationship and try to figure out what I could have done better. And that really started a huge uh, personal growth cycle for me. And it was the most valuable lesson I'd ever learned. And now I take those lessons with me and share them with you in hopes that you will not be in the same mess that I got into. And if you are, well, keep listening. Because when we come back, I'm going to read an email from someone who's in a particular mess. uh, That uh, relationship is now over and the husband wants a divorce. But there was some emotional abuse and some alcohol involved and some other things And I think there's some great points for all of us in the next segment. So be right back after this. Welcome back. Normally at this point of the show, I would throw in an amazing sponsor, (laughs) but I'm not going to. In fact, I'm only going to mention the Mean Workbook because we're talking about emotional abuse today, and the Mean Workbook is all about getting through the difficulties of your relationship, especially when there's emotional abuse involved, and it's also an assessment, a 200-point assessment that helps you identify exactly what's happening in your relationship. You know, you add these check marks and you figure out if your relationship is one of those emotionally abusive ones, and then what do you do about it? And uh, a lot of people have written to me saying, you know, just checking the boxes off has revealed a lot for me because it helps me pinpoint exactly what's going on. So if you're interested in working on your relationship because it's more difficult than it needs to be, go to loveandabuse.com. Anyway, I'm going to go right into this email that I mentioned on the uh, last segment, and uh, just go ahead and read it. This is from someone I'm going to call, we'll call her Judy. Judy says, Hi Paul, I came across your podcast when I did a search for stonewalling early on in my relationship mess. My husband and I are currently in the process of a divorce initiated by him. We have a child together. And just let me add this stonewalling for those of you who don't know. Stonewalling is when you don't want to talk about something anymore. So you put your hand up and you say, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Or it doesn't have to be your hand. But you can um, do this through uh, withdrawing, like when you give your partner the silent treatment. If there's something that you don't want to talk about because you think you're going to lose the argument or you think that it's just too painful to talk about or no matter what, you want to change the subject, there's stonewalling. Anything to do with not talking about the subject avoiding the subject, redirecting the subject is called stonewalling. Now, stonewalling isn't always like a bad thing, but it usually is. It's most of the time it's a bad thing because you avoid the, the subject. Uh, and if there's a subject on the table that needs to be talked about, your relationship can suffer if you never bring it up or if your partner never wants to talk about it. My mom was pretty good at stonewalling, but not in the awful sense. Like if I bring up something painful Uh, about her relationship or about her past or about anything that she doesn't want to talk about, she'll immediately change the subject. She'll bring it back to me, in fact. She'll say, so how are you doing? (laughs) Instead of asking her how she is. And, you know, I think that's fine. I think there are times 
when you really don't want to talk about something. You just want to have a good day, so you might stonewall. I don't think it's a good practice. I think it's okay every now and then, but I think you have to eventually address the issue so that you don't hold it in and walk around with it. That's what stonewalling is. You're, you're trying to avoid the issue, and a lot of relationships will develop this because the partner just says, I don't want to talk about it anymore, and then it gets swept under the rug, and it comes out in another day in a, a destructive way, and it gets talked about anyway, but usually passively, usually aggressively, uh, but not directly. So let me move on here, and I'll just keep reading. My husband has a history of running away from conflict. I have a history of hitting it head on and articulating how I feel. He is now claiming that I have been emotionally abusive. I have had several instances with alcohol where I have been belligerent and mean, never physically abusive, but they were certainly awful. I have recognized this as a problem and I have completely stopped drinking. I take accountability for my role. I am also in therapy working on many things. The alcohol is what triggered the divorce and since then he has completely iced me out. I think she means more stonewalling. For the last few months, he has refused to speak with me, and he has set very strict boundaries for talking, completely blocking me out in every possible way. He said he needed time, and although this was very difficult for me, I feel like I did everything I could to reach him. I took accountability, I gave him time, I encouraged talking, I respected boundaries, I tried making him laugh, I tried to connect with him in any way that I could. He would not allow it. My trouble right now, after listening to your podcast, is reconciling the idea that I have been emotionally abusive. When he first said this, I listened and I validated it. I explained that I could understand how I could have been explosive or critical in our marriage, especially during the tougher times with uh, outside stressors. And when I listened to your episode on emotional abuse, I know that he would connect with a lot of what you are saying. However, my husband has always been a people pleaser. He is passive, non-confrontational. He doesn't engage well with conflict. When he would get upset over something, he would become defensive, and then he would either leave or say something like, Can we move on? There's a good example of stonewalling right there. Occasionally, he would validate what I said or apologize, but it got to the point that I couldn't trust these moments, knowing that he just wanted the fight to be over. I realize now that I didn't respect him for his passiveness. He was emotionally and intimately withdrawn, and I was constantly trying to pull him out. He was never showing up as his authentic self. I think he felt intimidated and fearful for many reasons, but also because I am able to articulate my feelings well, and he is not. His self-worth was not high when I met him so long ago, and I think I made him feel good about himself. As life continued and the real world happened, I believed his passiveness and avoidance of conflict created a situation in which he was withdrawn, and every fight was a trauma and stuffed under the rug. With the forced reflection of the last few months, I can say that I don't want to be in that marriage either. I have encouraged us to start over and try to build a new marriage, at least for the sake of our child. We have always loved each other deeply. We've been best friends, and I believe that if we put work into it, we might have a chance. However, he has said he doesn't want to go back, he doesn't want to be with me, and he doesn't want to try. I have to accept this, and to a certain extent, I have. He is now saying that he is doing what he knows to be best for our child, which no one, including myself, can understand. He will not say that he isn't in love with me anymore. He states that he does love me, and in fact he says he doesn't want to lose me. But he is making this choice anyway. How do I make peace with this? 
It's not that I want to assign blame, but is it possible to have two abusers in a relationship? His stonewalling and constant disengagement was also devastating. I felt unimportant, unattractive, and unloved. Was I emotionally abusive? Where is the accountability for him not coming to me to tell me he was unhappy? I know everything's not always black and white, but I can't make sense of it. I do want him to be happy. I think he's depressed, and I think he's blaming it entirely on our marriage. My fear is that when we get through this, he will still be just as unhappy. I can't wrap my head around how he has not once talked about his feelings with me in the last few months. Thank you, Judy. All right, Judy, thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, I want to congratulate you for getting to a point where you understand that the alcohol was a problem for you. If you have any type of drinking issue, I'm not saying that you do, but uh, apparently it was an issue in the relationship, and you realize that it is causing stress for other people, then it is something to consider. And if you've been able to say, you know what, I don't want alcohol to be the cause of any stress in my relationship, so I'm going to give it up, that's a huge step. Again, if alcohol was a problem for you. Uh, if it was just a once-in-a-while thing, it might be a different story. But if the alcohol was a major issue and you're able to give it up, because it can be hard to give up alcohol, uh, then I just want to congratulate you. That's amazing. That's a huge step forward. And I do want to say this, no matter what, if you find out that not having alcohol in your life makes your life better, then going through this divorce and going through the hard times, I just want you to remember how much better your life is, even though there will be challenges. So again, if you have a problem with alcohol, don't reintroduce it if it is a problem in your life, even when you go through the hard times, because that's the big challenge, isn't it? You go through the hard times and that alcohol is right there. It can help numb the pain, but it doesn't get rid of the pain. It only uh, makes it temporary and then you have to drink it again and again and again. So thank you for sharing that. Now, with your situation, being married to a people pleaser. Great example. I was a people pleaser. I was always trying to uh, do whatever I can to make sure everyone was happy. And I hated confrontation. I avoided conflict, everything that you're describing that your husband went through. I wasn't married to someone where alcohol was a problem. The issue in my marriage that I made the issue was her addiction to junk food. So there was still an addiction quality there. And um, I made it an issue instead of letting her deal with that personal issue. Because her eating junk food didn't make her violent or aggressive or anything toward me. In fact, it just calmed her down. So it was fine, and it should have been fine, but I didn't make it fine. So there's where the emotional abuse started uh, in my relationship, this constant judgment about that addiction. Uh, for you, however, when you drank alcohol, you admittedly said, I was aggressive and I exploded and I caused problems. And um, you did mention, I don't know if I read it or not, that it wasn't that often, but it was often enough that it was an issue. And so what I want to address first is that people pleasers can often be attracted to someone that has personality traits that they grew up with. People pleasing can be born from a dysfunctional household, an alcoholic household, any household where there's some sort of fear, so they need to change their behavior so it doesn't incite 
the behavior of someone that they are, they're afraid of, so they become a people pleaser. The people pleasers, a lot of them will find the same qualities in a partner that they didn't like in their parents or whoever their caretakers were. And because of that, they get into relationships that become a problem. I mean, anyone can actually fall for this. Anyone that has grown up with uh, dysfunctional qualities in their family, they can gravitate toward people with those same dysfunctional qualities because it's comfortable, because it's a traumatic bonding in the sense where love equals pain. You know, I can't feel love unless I'm also in pain because of you. That's a traumatic bonding example where you are traumatically bonded to the person that you are growing up with or that you're partnered with because they're showing you love and abuse. That's why I picked the website, loveandabuse.com. It's the perfect combination of words that can really shape your decisions in life and what you choose and who you choose for partners and such. But people pleasers can have this attraction toward people that need help. And I'm not saying that you needed help, Judy. I don't know your situation. I have very little information. But that can happen. People pleasers are attracted to those that need more help because it pleases them to help them. And it can be an enabling, uh, codependent situation that they create, that they both create, because now there is dysfunction complementing dysfunction. So again, I don't know what your situation was entirely, Judy, but I do know this, is that as a former people pleaser myself and a conflict avoidant as well, I never wanted to bring up the hard subjects and I also never really felt strong enough to enforce my personal boundaries. And because I didn't enforce my personal boundaries, when I was in a relationship that was a problem for me or components of that relationship were a problem for me, I didn't stand up and honor myself. I didn't say, hey, you're being disrespectful. I don't appreciate that. You need to back off. And when they didn't back off, I should have said, hey, you're being disrespectful and you're not backing off. I'm leaving. That's harsh and quick to the point. But I've gotten to the point where today, if someone won't back off and they keep doing the bad behavior that makes me feel bad or bad about myself, I'm going to get out of that situation. Now, of course, we'll have conversations. We'll try to get help. We'll try to make things better in every way. I'll tell them what they're doing. But if it never ends, that's when you have to honor yourself and get out of the situation. For the people pleaser, it's harder to do because they still want to fix it. They still want to neutralize all the problems and fix the situation so that it works out for everyone. And if your husband was in that space, then you would not have gotten the type of feedback that you absolutely needed to be able to fix the relationship. So yes, there is some accountability here. You're absolutely correct where he should have said, hey, look, I don't like this behavior. I don't like what you're saying. I don't like what you're doing. You better stop or there's going to be consequences. I won't stay in a relationship where you treat me like this if he feels mistreated. He needs to be able to do that. I absolutely agree with you. There does need to be responsibility on his part to say these things. At the same time, if you don't get that type of feedback, there's also a responsibility for you, which it sounds like you're taking. You're taking responsibility for your behavior, for your role. So let's look at that role for a moment because what you highlighted here was that over the years, 
several times, you got, I guess, drunk and became explosive and he didn't like it. Let me tell you from a personal perspective what that's like. Growing up with an alcoholic, and I'm not calling you an alcoholic. I don't know your situation. I don't know what, what's going on there. But seeing him explode, seeing him smash windows, smash glasses, throw eggs all over the kitchen, hearing him yell and scream, I mean, several times throughout the month, he would explode and several times he's hit my mom and waking up the next morning and finding holes in the wall. It's very scary. It was very scary. Now, I was a kid, so it's even scarier. But even growing up to be my full-grown adult male, it was still scary to be around him in my 30s. I didn't want to be around him. I had fear of him. And it took me well into my 40s before I was able to start honoring my personal boundaries with him and saying, no, he's not welcome in my life anymore. And then seeing him in person and saying, no, you're not welcome into this house. That was so hard because I still felt like a kid around him. That scared child that just wanted the screaming to end. That just wanted him to stop doing what he was doing. And being that child, I felt like I had no say. And that can happen often with the people pleaser. They are scared. They withdraw. They don't want anything to do with it. They just want it to end. And your husband, being a fully grown man and a people pleaser, probably jumped into child mode when you became this aggressor. And when he's in child mode, he doesn't know what to do. He's afraid. He just wants it to end. So on and so on. So he's just waiting for you to change. And hopefully you see, and I'm guessing here, he's probably thinking as if she sees that I'm afraid or she sees that I'm upset or even angry because of her drinking, She'll stop on her own. She'll figure it out. She'll see that she's hurting me and stop. Because that's how I felt for years. If, if my stepfather just sees how much damage he's doing and how much pain that we're in and how much fear we have, he'll just stop. But he didn't, and he never did. He still drinks to this day, and it's still a big problem. Not that drinking is a problem in general, but for some people it is. For some people, drinking is out of control and it causes them to do bad behavior. When it causes you to do bad behavior, then the drinking is out of control. So this is what can happen, is that the people pleaser being with someone where they've had aggressive or violent episodes with other people in their life, especially in their upbringing, and their partner has this violent, aggressive episode, it puts that person in a very childlike state, hoping it ends, waiting for it, fearing it continuing, and fearing it happening again. Which takes me to my next point, uh, which is probably what something your husband had experienced, like I did, is that even though you could go months without an episode about alcohol, the fear that it could happen again, he carried with him. Again, this is a guess, but this is what I went through. Living with my stepfather, it was great to see him not drinking, which is very rare, but also being at least somewhat cordial, kind, functional, and not showing any signs of inebriation. It was great to see him in that way. That gave me some, some sense of comfort. But there was always an underlying sense of fear 
of when is it going to happen again. And even in your situation where months could go by and you not have an episode like that, your husband could have carried that fear in between it each time. And every time the explosion happened, he withdrew a little bit more because he felt less safe. And as you feel less safe in a relationship, you're not going to open up as much. And over time, you're going to close yourself off so much that you don't even connect with your partner anymore. This happens. You just keep closing off because you feel less and less safe. And then the final incident that caused him to say, you know what, we got to get a divorce, was him, I hate to say this, finally standing up for himself, telling himself that I need to get out of this situation because I've reached threshold. He may not have used those words, but that's what happens, especially to someone who's in that fear state all the time. They eventually reach threshold. They eventually can't take it anymore. And even if that was your final time and you'd never explode again, all the times you did before were enough for him to go past the tipping point. And he wouldn't be able to take it anymore. So I say I hate to say this because I don't mean to put you in a, in a bad guy position, but he realized that he didn't want this in his life anymore and no matter what you did from this point on, didn't matter because what's been done has already been done. The events have already occurred. And every time, and I'm just going to say this, even though I don't know if it's 100% true, but I'm going to say every time there was an explosion from you or whatever troubles that you dealt with, and he withdrew again and again, and he felt less safe to be himself with you, less authentic, it pulled him so far away from you that he felt almost nothing at the end. I don't like telling you that because I know you probably had some amazing times together, but what that is, is his emotional armor completely covering his heart. He did not want to feel any more pain because after an aggressive or violent situation like that, the person who did it can feel bad, can feel sorry, which is great, but the person who experienced it on the other end, they are scared and now they have to learn how to trust you again. And when in that process of learning how to trust you again, it'll never be 100%. It's going to be 98%, and then next time 96%, and next time 84%, and it's going to keep going down and down until they don't have trust anymore. And it's very difficult to make yourself vulnerable to someone that can turn on a dime, that can just suddenly be a different person. Because when I was growing up, and my stepfather got drunk, he was a different person. It was like a monster came out of the closet and scared the hell out of everyone because that's who he was. He was a monster when he got so drunk that he couldn't control himself, and that monster was what I was scared of. So every time he wasn't drunk, again, very rare, but when he wasn't so bad that we couldn't communicate with him anymore, I felt my trust and my safety around him open up just a little bit, but not as much as before, because I was always guarded. And if your husband has felt this way, always guarded, closing himself off from you more and more and more, then getting that relationship back is probably, I'm going to be blunt, impossible. Because there's just been too much fear and pain. 
So it doesn't mean that you were the cause of all this, but you certainly were the trigger because if he's had any type of uh, dysfunctional upbringing where this was an issue in any way, where someone became violent or aggressive, then by you doing that as well, it is just a reminder that uh, he's back in that same old fearful childlike space and he's made the decision that he doesn't want to face that again. So I know it's odd for me to say this because it doesn't sound very supportive of you, but I want to tell you that it's a really good thing for him to be able to do this for himself. You're worried about him still not being happy after you get all, get through all this, but for him to take this stand for himself and say probably no more. I don't want this anymore. I have reached my limit. I will not take this kind of behavior anymore. I want out. I say that's excellent. I mean, if you really want the best for him and he's doing this for himself, he's going to take that with him. I think that's great. I know it doesn't make you going through this feel any better, but uh, at least knowing that he has this in him and that he will be able to recognize the characteristics he doesn't like in any future relationship and be able to do something like this, this may give him the impetus to step up even faster and stronger and say, no, I don't want to be treated like that anymore. So in order to make peace with this, which is what you asked, I think it's a good idea to look at the past and go, wow, I made some really terrible mistakes. You know, this is you taking responsibility for your role. And I would not focus on him at all. Now, what I mean is don't necessarily seek what he should have done and could have done, you know, when you're looking at your past and figuring out, well, things could have gone a lot differently if he just stood up and did something. I think it's a waste of time and energy to look back at your partner's past and say to yourself, he should have done things differently. Or if he did this, then I would have done that and we would be okay today. Because by doing that, you're taking away the time and energy that you could use for yourself to heal, learn, grow, and evolve. To get past what you have been so that you can improve yourself for yourself and for any next relationship. You can look at your relationship and go, wow, that relationship was the perfect time for me to learn about myself. That's what I look at with my marriage. My marriage, I wanted it to last for till the end of time. I really wanted it to last, even through all the problems. And now I look at it and go, thank God I had that marriage. Thank God that she left me. I mean, I, I am grateful for that. Not that I wanted to lose her, but had she not left me, I would not have learned what I needed to learn. And as painful as someone leaving us can be, it can also be an amazing lesson for us. I mean, look what it did for you. From what you're saying, you have stopped drinking, you're you're getting therapy, you're trying to work on yourself and improve yourself. I don't know if all of that was triggered by the divorce itself, but certainly as you neared the end of your relationship, uh, you realized that you needed to work on yourself. And sometimes the cost of learning that stuff is losing a relationship that's important to you. So I know that probably isn't information that helps make you feel better, but in the long run, it's going to be so valuable to you if you take the lessons from it and realize that it had to happen for you to get to this point. You may disagree with that. I mean, I think back to my marriage and think, wow, 
if I had just learned about all my judgment issues before it got worse, then maybe I could have saved it. Maybe I could have done something differently. But then I think realistically and I go, wait, I was in a relationship where I already had the prize, so to speak. I already got married. I already had someone that wasn't ever going to leave me. That was my belief. So I really didn't put importance on changing me. That's what happens. We don't put importance or priority in changing ourselves once we get who we want. I'm not saying that's for everyone. I'm saying that that's what some of us do is that we come to a place of, well, I got what I wanted and uh, now I don't have to worry about working on myself because I got what I wanted. If I didn't get what I want, then I would work on myself. That's a belief that really hurts us over and over again. It's like, I'm going to start working out and work on myself and get therapy only when someone's not in my life. And I think that really hurts us because once we're in a relationship and we stop growing and we believe that, hey, we're okay because someone loves us, then we lose the opportunity to continue improving ourselves, continue impressing the person that we're with, and realize that the relationship isn't set in stone because they said yes. Nothing is set in stone, and we have to continue working at it by working on ourselves. Once we stop working on ourselves and we believe, hey, everything's fine, which means I don't have to introspect, I don't have to reflect, I don't have to think about what to do for myself. I don't have to worry about anything. Now that I've got the prize, we lose an opportunity to strengthen the bond and make our relationship a wonderful, long-lasting one that can really stand through a lot of challenges. So I'm going to wrap this up. There's a couple other things that you asked. Um, Can both people be emotionally abusive? Yes, absolutely. Because what happens is sometimes there'll be an emotional abuser in the relationship And the other person could be kind and compassionate and caring. And you don't expect emotional abuse from that person. But what they end up doing is not getting their needs met from the emotional abuser. So what the other person has to do is become manipulative and emotionally abusive themselves with passive-aggressive comments, little manipulations and lies just to get their needs met from the abuser. This can happen often. I'm not saying it happened in your relationship, but... Yes, very often, and when someone is emotionally abusive in relationship, the other person becomes emotionally abusive just to make the relationship machine work. It doesn't work if both people aren't getting their needs met, and sometimes the other person's not getting their needs met, they're going to become emotionally abusive. They're going to figure out a way to get their needs met. Now, it can also start with two emotionally abusive people. People-pleasers aren't necessarily emotionally abusive by nature, but sometimes they uh, people-pleasers come with other characteristics and qualities. So a people-pleaser might be like a high judger, like I was. A people-pleaser might have high standards, which is part of the judgment, and they will want other people to, to fall into those standards, especially in relationships. Uh, not always. I might have been unique there. I don't know. But there, there are certain other qualities that come with people pleasing. I'm sure, I know I'm saying your husband's a people pleaser because you called him that. I'm sure he's more than that. (laughs) I mean, in a good way. Uh, But he had the people pleasing characteristic, which probably means he had other characteristics like maybe he was a perfectionist or super responsible or maybe he was a high judger. I don't know. But there are other things that go along with it that can be emotionally abusive and can be inherited through um, upbringing, through conditioning, 
that really cause a problem in relationships because often a people pleaser can be annoying. <laughs> I'm calling myself out here. I was annoying in the sense of when somebody wanted to go out to a restaurant, they would ask me where I wanted to go and I would say, I don't care, wherever you want to go. That sounds like a nice thing to say, but when you hear it over and over and over again and the people pleaser doesn't have their own opinion about anything, it becomes very irritating for the people that aren't people pleasers, for the people that are more decisive, the people that have no problem speaking their mind and being authentic. People pleaser just wants to say, I don't care, whatever you want, because I want you to be happy. And uh, to other people, that can be very irritating. Because eventually, you go nowhere with the people pleaser. You just you, you realize that they are feeding off of your responses. And they become a non-entity in a lot of ways. They're just an extension of you. And you don't want an extension of you. You want someone who has their own opinions and own ideas and their own perceptions in the world. But when you have someone that's always agreeing and always trying to fix things or please people, it really is. It can be an irritation. And I didn't know that until... I reached my mid-30s and realized, oh, so it's okay to say no. And people actually appreciate when you say no instead of always saying yes or always being agreeable. It's okay to be a disagreeable person. It's okay to have my own thoughts. That was a difficult thing to learn because I never realized it was actually normal. (laughs) And it is. It is very normal. So, uh, yes, Judy, both people can be emotional abusers but don't focus on him like i said focus on what you need to do for you because if you really let's just say that there's a part of you that wants to impress him and show him that hey look look at all the stuff i'm doing i'm i'm changing i want to show you i'm changing i don't want you to have this memory of me that's how i felt i don't want you to remember me like this i want to show you that i am changing the best way to do that is focus so much on yourself that you have no inkling of wanting to show him anything because you're so focused on yourself. When you focus on yourself and work on yourself and do everything for you, put all your time and energy into you and improve yourself, then you just show up differently. You don't have to prove to anyone or convince anyone of anything because you're changing inside. And when you change inside, the world can now accept this new version of you or not But they at least see this new version of you and can choose to accept it or not and can choose to welcome it or not. But never try to be convincing that you're changing to anyone. Just make the changes. Just do it. Because as soon as your attention goes to trying to impress someone else, you lose the focus on what you really need to do for yourself. Because if you make it about someone else, when that someone else isn't in the picture, then are you going to continue improving yourself? Because if he goes off with someone else or even disappears or dies, then are you still working on yourself for yourself and for no one else? Because that's important. Because if this person disappears, if your husband disappears and he doesn't want anything to do with you anymore, that's why it's so vital for you to keep your focus on yourself so that it's not about someone else. It's really about you. Very, very important. And um, the last thing you said was, I can't wrap my head around how he has not once talked about his feelings with me in several months. And what I have to say about that is that when someone has reached that threshold, when someone has had enough, they're going to close off from the person they've developed the aversion to because that person is capable of getting into their heart. And what they have to do 
is sort of stonewall. It's another process called gray rock. This is really when you go no contact with someone. You become a gray rock. You become someone who isn't affected at all emotionally so that you yourself can get through the circumstances, the situation. Because he probably knows himself well enough to know that he could fall for you again, fall into what he might see as a dangerous situation because he has developed a belief that when he's with you and when he becomes vulnerable, he's open to attack. So that may not have been your intent. I'm not saying you're an attacking person, but he must have developed this over the years. So now he has to close himself off so he doesn't put himself into that vulnerable position again. And I really do believe he probably does still love you. He probably wants you in his life, but he also wants to care for himself now and put all the energy and focus on himself, which can be very difficult for you because here you are going through the motions, doing everything you can to improve yourself. I, again, I applaud you. I want you to remember this time is something I want you to take advantage of because if you stayed in the relationship and these problems never came to a head, I wonder how much incentive you would have had to ask yourself if you really needed to work on yourself. How much incentive would you have had if this never came to a head? And it's okay to feel hurt. And it's even okay to feel like you are to blame, but you're not. It does take two people to be part of this formula. And just because you've made some mistakes doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes the behavior something that you don't want to repeat. And how do you do that? You work on yourself. You improve yourself. You come into a place of, I'm better than I was, and I'm going to prove to myself that's true. I know there's pain involved here. I know there's a child involved here, so you'll be seeing each other as the custody come, stuff comes up. But keep working on yourself and keep showing up differently. Who knows what the future has to hold? I'm not going to say that he suddenly changes his mind because he sees you differently. He may have reached that threshold and there's no turning back. My wife did that. My wife saw the changes in me. She actually loved what she was seeing. But her love for me had disintegrated because I kept making it unsafe for her. And if he has a very high value of safety in a relationship and that has been broken, then it may be difficult to get back to that. But if you keep showing up and you are just this new and improved person and you feel good inside and out and you're working on yourself, at least he, he will see this in you and be able to develop at least a friendly relationship so you can both be there and be present with each other for your child. And you will get through this. Right now, you're in the thick of it. The relationship's ending. It is painful. And there are other episodes I've talked about the end of a relationship. I'd like you to look for those. If you go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and you type in uh, breakup, divorce, uh, grieving. I talk about grieving at the end of a relationship. Those will probably be very helpful for you too. Thank you so much, Judy. This is a challenge and I understand what you're going through. And I want the best for you and your child and everyone involved here so that you can make it through this. So you can look back and say, I learned a lot and I'm so glad that I went through that so that I could change these things about myself. And it's okay. You can miss what you had. You can love what you had as long as you keep going forward, loving yourself, showing that self-compassion, showing yourself 
that you want to continue improving so that this never happens again. So that you don't get into a situation like this where there's not enough communication, where it can't be resolved before it becomes a complete breakdown. I appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to end the show here momentarily. I'll come right back and say some thank yous and my final words after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank the patron members at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Thank you for supporting this show and for being a part of that program. If you want to support this show, you can go over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and uh, show your support there. It's not just about supporting me and what I do over here to help the world empower themselves so that they can make decisions that are right for them. It's also a place that you can get private episodes, workbooks, and so if you want to check that out, go over there, patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Again, thank you, existing patron members. And if you want to support the show in another way, you can go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on the Amazon button every time you want to shop at Amazon. It's a great way to show your support, and Amazon sends us pennies on the dollar for everything that you buy on that site through our link. And like I mentioned earlier, the mean workbook at loveandabuse.com is a great path for you if you want to figure out why your relationship is so darn difficult. If it is. <laughs> I'm not talking to everyone, obviously. But some of you, you know, you might feel guilty a lot. You might feel like you're getting blamed or made to feel responsible for most, if not all, the relationship problems. You might feel like you're walking on eggshells. You might try to seek empathy from your partner but never get it. Or maybe you just find it difficult to get any of your emotional needs met by them. If any of these resonate with you, this workbook will pinpoint exactly what type of manipulation or emotional abuse is going on, if any. I mean, there's an assessment in there that you take, and it lets you know exactly how much, if any, is going on. Like I said, we can all do this. Hopefully, you don't need this workbook and you're not going through any of that, but just in case you do, check out loveandabuse.com. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And to close the show, I just want to tell you, if you are in any type of relationship, whether it's with family, friends, co-workers, um, or romantic, that, uh, you know, challenges will come. Challenges always come. There's always going to be some sort of miscommunication, misunderstanding, mistranslation, or even intentional bad behavior. Could be coming from you, could be coming from them. But regardless, there's still that question that I want you to ask every time you're in communication with someone and you just start to feel it going downhill. I mean, you know that feeling, right? You get that feeling in your chest or your stomach somewhere inside you that just tells you, oh, I don't like where this is going. This doesn't feel right. And you may not be able to pinpoint exactly why it doesn't feel right. And the question is what I mentioned earlier, which is, is my intention to make them feel bad? Or is my intention to make them feel bad about themselves. And you can also ask it in reverse if you're the recipient of this communication where you go, is their intention to make me feel bad? Or extend it, like I said, is their intention to make me feel bad about myself? Because as soon as you answer that question and the answer is yes, 
you know there's some sort of emotional manipulation or abuse going on. And when you figure that out, now you have a choice. Whereas before you may not have thought you had a choice. If you're getting treated in a way that makes you feel bad or bad about yourself, you can look at the communication and realize, wait, I don't want to feel bad. I don't want them to make me feel bad. I want to feel good. Why is this person trying to make me feel bad? And then if those sneaky thoughts like, well, I must be a bad person then, or I must be an idiot, or I must have done something wrong, if those types of words come into your, into your head, I want you to know they're not true. I mean, yes, there are times when maybe you did do something wrong, but don't make it a pattern. Don't go into your head every time they say something that you did wrong and then suddenly make it truth for you. Because yes, we're going to make mistakes and people are going to call us out on it and then they're going to make us feel bad because they want you to know how bad they feel and they want you to feel bad because they feel bad, which is fine. And that's a one-off or two-off thing. But when that's a pattern, that's emotional abuse. That's when it's not stopping and it becomes vindictive, it becomes vengeful, it becomes just something that you don't want in your life. Yet, if you're in that pattern and it's repeated, you will start to believe it and believe that you are not as worthy as you are. You are definitely, definitely worthy. You are definitely important. You are definitely lovable and valuable and deserve respect and deserve kindness and deserve to feel good. I want you to feel good and I want you to remember that most people have good intentions but some people don't. Some people do not have good intentions and they just want you to hurt. And you can't blame yourself for the people that want you to hurt. That is them. That is their hurt projecting onto you so that you hurt so that you can feel what they don't want to feel. If they can push it onto you and you can take all the hurt, then it keeps them in the clear. And as long as you're there, they can utilize you. You know, this is the people with the bad intentions. You don't want people with bad intentions utilizing you, which is why it's important to always remember to ask that question, do they want me to feel bad? Then if the answer is yes, then sure, you can look in your past and go, hmm, what did I do wrong? But don't start making excuses like, well, I could have done this differently or I should have done that differently. Because if those things weren't addressed in the moment, then yes, they have a responsibility for speaking up and saying, you know, what you just said really hurts me and I don't like that. Great, you can talk about that. That's something tangible. But if they hold on to it and they mention it later and, and their intention is to make you feel bad about it and they do that often and it becomes a pattern and it becomes a trend and you feel like you can't trust yourself, that you can't uh, make good decisions because of all the things they're saying about you, you just might be being emotionally abused. So I just want you to be aware of that. Again, it doesn't make these people necessarily bad. Some are. That's <laughs> sorry to say, some are. But a lot of people don't even know they're doing it. So that's why it's good to bring it up, talk about it, and uh, hopefully get through it. And sometimes you can't. So you just have to keep going and working on yourself and improving yourself. Like I told Judy earlier, just keep focusing on yourself. And you do that by keeping an open mind so that you can step into your power. This will help you be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, 
You are amazing. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GC became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose.